Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again, Lord, to honor you and to acknowledge that we are standing on holy ground. Every time that we try to go into your word and hear what you have said, especially about yourself and your son, Jesus Christ. We are going beyond what our abilities can take us. For no one can teach Christ, and no one can preach Christ but you alone, himself, and your Holy Spirit. So we come seeking instruction and understanding. We come as ignorant people, as those who lived in darkness, who are moving into the light of Christ. And Lord, we ask that your light shine brightly in our hearts, in our hearts and in our minds that we may behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. For our interest has to be Christ, because it is on whom you have put your finger and said, whoever has to deal with you, whoever has to approach you, and whoever has to talk to you, have to do it through him. Anyone who shall have life shall only be given to them in Christ. And we, Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who has graciously given us the word of Christ who works in us to will and to do for his good pleasure, who has gifted us as he pleases with different gifts for the building up of your people and for the edification of those that you have bought by your blood. And now, Lord, this morning as we go and learn more on the doctrine of baptism, baptism within and by the Holy Spirit. We seek your light. And Lord, as I pray always, forgive where we are, for we are but fallen men. So Lord Jesus, help me to preach you. I pray in your precious name. Amen. Baptism by the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the accompanying signs. We have recorded for us in the book of Acts that when 
the believers were baptized by the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. They were accompanying signs when the Holy Spirit fell on God's people. But we just don't have the book of Acts. We have other books of the Bible that gives us the lenses through which we can read the experience in the book of Acts. So we want to go into the book of Acts and work with those scriptures that talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the accompanying signs and see what are we to understand of what happened. The way the language was used by the Holy Spirit, what are we to understand? And to hear maybe what Apostle Paul's understanding of the events was, because he also is in the book of Acts. He was one of the apostles who baptized people and they spoke in tongues. He is the one who did the interpretation as was given to him by the Lord of what was happening in the book of Acts. So we have many texts that we are going to be looking at, but we're just going to begin in Acts 1, verses 3 to 8. And it reads, To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you had of from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. To have a better and fuller understanding of the gospel and God's work of salvation through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to understand the biblical teaching on the various doctrines that relate to salvation. We have such doctrines as regeneration, baptism, faith, repentance, sanctification, justification. Those are doctrines that gives us more light as to Christ's work with respect to salvation. We also need to understand that there is a history to redemption and that these doctrines were taught by God in different ways and forms. The Old Testament dimly pictured, taught, and anticipated these doctrines. And the New Testament is the one that brings to fulfillment of these doctrines in and by the person of Jesus Christ. Thus, the New Testament gives the proper interpretation and commentary of the Old Testament. That is, it opens up 
for us a way to see the theological importance and fulfillment of the events, the institutions, and the people of the Old Testament. So one of the things is the Spirit of God. Possessing the Spirit of God was an Old Testament promise by whom God promised to work obedience in his people. We find that in Ezekiel 39:29, Isaiah 44:3, Joel 2:28 to 29, which apostle Peter is going to quote for us on the day of Pentecost. And this pouring out of the spirit is not done haphazardly, but is done through and by the person of Christ so as to confirm him as Jehovah's suffering servant, the Messiah who brings to fulfillment all of God's promises in their appointed times and their appointed meaning. So the fuller meaning, the substance of all these things is found in Christ Jesus. So he is the one who baptizes people with his Holy Spirit. That is, he immerses them in the Spirit of God. How do you immerse someone in a spirit? Only God can do that. And that's what he has done. So the consummation and application of those benefits that the Lord promised to the believer come after the cross. After the resurrection of the Lord. This is necessary background for us to be able to read properly what is happening in the book of Acts. So we now want to explore parts of the book of Acts to get some understanding of the nature of baptism with the Holy Spirit. And also filling with the Holy Spirit. And the accompanying signs to try and determine if what happened in the book of Acts was standard or normative for the church in all of the ages, even beyond the day of Pentecost. And also we want to see if there was any particular reason why signs like speaking in tongues was important. Because there's never really much teaching out there to say there was actually significance to the fact that the Lord caused these people to speak in tongues. is there. We are going to find it in the book of Isaiah. We're going to find it. So we are going to see if there are any reference to Old Testament prophecies and feasts that were already talking to this experience. So to do this, we need to understand what Pentecost is and why as an Old Testament feast it is important in the history of the work of Christ and the church. So we also look at the Old Testament passages to see what work was empowered or enabled by the Holy Spirit and if at all there were any accompanying signs when that work was enabled. So in Acts 1.8 the apostles were told, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But we are also told in John 14, 26, by the Lord himself, 
when he was talking to his, to his disciples, he says this. He was talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, and I'll give you the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what is that saying? It's saying that as the Lord was sojourning in shoe leather before the cross, the Holy Spirit had not been given. So why the promise that they shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them? Because without the power of the Holy Spirit, they could not be bold witnesses. Remember what has happened to the disciples just before the cross. Peter has denied the Lord. Why? Because he was weak. He was weak. So if they are to go and be witnesses of the gospel and of the Lord, they need power to witness. They need boldness. And they need understanding because the Holy Spirit has to be given to do what? To bring to remembrance all the things of Christ. So they need the right knowledge. They need the right knowledge. And he says to them, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And the Greek word translated witnesses there is not witnessing like a lot of people think. It's where we get our English word, martyr. Yeah, like getting killed. And you are going to get killed. You are going to get killed for the sake of my name. That's where it's coming from. But listen to this, Acts 1, 21 to 22. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all, all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until that day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of what? Of his resurrection. And this is when they were picking someone to replace Judas. So they understood what the work was. The work was so that they would have someone who would stand in the place of Judas so as to do the work of witnessing. Witnessing the resurrection of the Lord. So the resurrection is very important in the work of witnessing. So the work of witnessing for Christ was to teach and preach the gospel of his death and resurrection. The gospel of his death and resurrection and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. And it carried a disclaimer that you may actually get killed doing this work. That's the disclaimer. You are going to get killed. And we know all the disciples, if not all of them, most of them, were killed witnessing for Christ. So much that Apostle Peter, legend has it, that he was hung upside down. So let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2. But that's the battleground. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came...
from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And these were the languages. And excuse me if I can't pronounce some of them. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. You hear what they were talking about? They were speaking about the mighty deeds of God. They were not just bubbling. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. So we want to go in and find out what does this mean? So Acts 2.1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. It is not enough for us to say Jesus fulfilled everything. Yes, he fulfilled everything. But we need to know what he fulfilled and what that means. And what that means. That way we are able to put our understanding of his work in the appropriate places. If we are going to have a true knowledge of Christ, if we are going to have assurance of salvation, it only comes from knowing what it is that Jesus claims to have done. In the Old Testament, the Lord appointed times or feasts that were to be observed by all of Israel. And you can read more about the feasts in Leviticus chapter 23. It's wholly dedicated to the various feasts. And each of these feasts had a particular reference to some work of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, the Lord Jesus was crucified as the Passover lamb. We know this from 1 Corinthians 5-7, which says, For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And he rose from the grave at the feast of first fruits as the first fruits of the resurrection. We learn this from 1 Corinthians 15:20 which says, "But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep." So the Passover, the feast of weeks and the feast of tabernacles required that first fruit offerings be made at the temple as a way of expressing thanksgiving for God's provision. And the feast of first fruits celebrated at the time of Passover included the first fruits of the barley harvest. 
So these feasts that we are going to be referencing today to get our understanding, they are very connected at the time that they happen. One begins and then the other one closes the beginning of the one. The Feast of Festfruits celebrated the Festfruits of the barley harvest. And the Feast of Weeks was in celebration of the Festfruits of the wheat harvest. And there is significance to that which we are going to find out from the New Testament. And you shall observe the Feast of Weeks of the fruits of wheat harvest in the feast of ingathering at the year's end. That's the instruction that the Lord gave to Israel in Exodus 34, verse 22. And the feast of tabernacles involved offerings of the first fruits of the olive and grape harvest. So all these fruits, sorry, all these feasts have theological significance. We have to dedicate some time to just learn about the feast. And since the feast of weeks was one of the harvest feasts, the Jews were commanded to present an offering of new grain to the Lord. So all the harvest feasts required that the Jews go to Jerusalem and present the best of their first fruits to the Lord. Whether it's barley or wheat or the grapes or the olives, they were required to do that. So following the, the resurrection, the Lord Jesus spent the next 40 days teaching his disciples before ascending to heaven. And 50 days after his resurrection and after ascending to heaven, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit as he promised in John 14, verses 16 to 17, to indwell his disciples and to empower them for ministering. And the promised Holy Spirit arrived on the day of Pentecost. That's significant. Because remember, the Lord died as the Passover lamp. And he resurrected as the first fruit. And now he sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the feast of weeks. So listen to Leviticus 23 verses 15 to 16. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the death. Sorry. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath. From the day that you brought the sheave of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. You shall, count, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. So what is happening here is the day of Pentecost was an annual feast that followed the Feast of Fruits by a week of weeks, which means seven weeks, 49 days. Seven weeks, 49 days. So the way that it is happening, is happening a day after the day of the first fruits. So that makes it 50. That's pent, pent is what? It's five. So it's 50 days after the feast of the first fruits. 50 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord was already teaching this right in the Old Testament. So the feast of weeks was a feast of harvesting. It was a feast of harvesting 
that is a presentation before the Lord of the first fruits of the new harvest. Very important. Because it says of the new grain. So it's a presentation before the Lord of the best of the new harvest. It marked the culmination of what started at the feast of Passover. The first fruits, which feast of first fruits happened a day after the Sabbath. That's according to Leviticus 23, 9-11. to So why is this knowledge important for us? Because Jesus was fulfilling each of these feasts. He was fulfilling each of these feasts. As I said, he died as the Passover, on the Passover, as the Passover lamb. Resurrected a few days later as the first fruits and 40 days later goes to heaven. Very, very important. Remember, Numbers 15, 15 from last week. There's also a theological importance to this. This is what Numbers 15, 15 says. As for the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the alien who sojourns with you. A perpetual statute throughout your generations as you are, so shall the alien be before the Lord. And yet there was another instruction in Deuteronomy 16.16. It says, three times a year, all your males, very important. Three times a year, all your males in Israel shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. At the feast of unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, and at the feast of tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. So, these are the three feasts where all the males were required to show up before the Lord. And the feast of weeks is one of them. And there's a particular instruction there that says, none of them is to appear before him empty-handed. Very important. So, if these feasts pointed to Christ... If this feast had their fulfillment in Christ, what are we to learn from that? Forty days after the resurrection, the Lord appeared where? He entered into heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem. But he can't appear empty-handed. He has work to do. He had been working. Listen to this. He has to appear before the Father with a harvest from his work. He has to appear before the Father with a harvest from his work. And what shall he bring to show his labor? What shall he bring to show his labor? Because it says, for none shall appear before him empty-handed. He brings the believers that came to faith on Pentecost. He brings the believers that came to faith on Pentecost and these were the ones that were the first fruits of Christ's work. That's what he's doing. He is bringing the believers. I have some teaching related to this from the book of John chapter 4. There was just so much there I could not fit it in. I had to remove it. 
But the Lord already taught this theology in the book of John when he deals with the Samaritans. It's laid out there, the theology. So what is happening with the first fruits is the first fruits anticipated a bigger harvest to follow because you were just taking part of your harvest and presenting it to the Lord. You were not harvesting the whole field one time. This was just saying more of the harvest is to follow. So what we see then is just as the first fruits offered to God under the old covenant anticipated the fuller harvest to come, and so Pentecost anticipated a fuller harvest of God's people to come. So the feast of first weeks, the feast of weeks was an inauguration of the first fruits of God's harvest of sinners because of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed and rose from the dead. So Jesus has entered into the labor in his field and because he has been laboring, he has to present the best of fruits before the Lord because anyone who goes to labor has to show up before the Lord with something in their hands. And this is true for the Jew, for the Israelite, as it is for the alien. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took up human flesh, also has to appear before the Lord with something in his hands. So there's none who are going to appear before the Lord without something in their hands. That's what that is saying. So what are you going to bring as your first fruits before him? What labor have you entered into to bring something that is pleasing to the Lord? And remember the children of Israel had to bring their best of their fruits. They had to bring whatever offering they had to bring before the Lord. It had to be the best. So what is the best of your offerings that you have to bring to the Lord? Okay. If Christ is not the offering that we bring, we have nothing to bring to the Lord. We have nothing that's pleasing to the Lord. But what we see, there's more for us to see. Look at the nature of the crop that was required to be presented on the Feast of Weeks. It was wheat. Wheat. Wheat is a type of the elect. The elect that are gathered or harvested into the barn and Pentecost was the official beginning of the ingathering of God's wheat. And we know this even from John the Baptist in Matthew 3, 12. This is what he said. Talking about Christ. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So the gathering of the wheat is what is happening on the day of Pentecost. That's the official inauguration of the gathering, the ingathering of God's people. 
And since it was an official inauguration of the Church of Jesus Christ, it had to be accompanied by signs. The Lord had to put up a show. The Lord had to put up a show as to validate the message of the gospel. He had to put up a show. Just as he's going to put up the show when he comes back. He's going to shut off all the lights and nobody is going to miss him when he shows up. You can't hide in the basement. And you're not going to see him because you have your TV on. So Pentecost was for the calling of the elect through baptism by the Holy Spirit. Through baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this was a sign that Christ had completed the work that he had entered into his labor. So everyone who comes to Christ, whether they speak in tongues or not, are a first fruit of Pentecost. Everyone who comes to Christ only do so because Christ entered into his labor. And he accomplished the work of his labor. So this is just the harvesting part of it. The work is already done. He already did the plowing and the sowing. So everyone who belongs to Christ has had a Pentecost. And not necessarily accompanied with the sign of speaking tongues, as we shall learn. So Apostle Peter argues in his sermon that he gave that the Pentecost was the validation. Pentecost, the experience of Pentecost was the validation and beginning of the work of the resurrected Christ. It was a validation and the beginning of the work of the resurrected Christ through the Holy Spirit. So he says in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So according to Peter, the signs that the Lord Jesus Christ performed were to validate him as the Messiah. And not only that, now that he is resurrected, the signs that are accompanying Pentecost are validating the reality of the resurrection of Christ and also to validate the authenticity of the gospel message. That's what is happening. So, the signs are not the message. We have to get this right. The signs are not the message and are not the end of the message. The signs, rather, are the packaging of the message. The message of the gospel and resurrection of Christ. Signs are just packaging. And the Lord Jesus Christ said of signs, of the Jews who sought signs, he said, you are an evil and adulterous generation that seeks signs, but no sign shall be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the world three days and three nights. 
and of signs, he also said, Blessed is he who believes without seeing. So we can't then be understanding Pentecost right if Jesus has said these things. There has to be more that we have to understand. And we are also going to find Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, which we intend to teach next Sunday, giving an interpretation of the signs and the gifts that the Lord has bestowed to his church. Apostle Paul was there in the book of Acts, baptizing people and people speaking in tongues. So we are going to go into 1 Corinthians next week and find out what his interpretation was of the things that were happening. And he says, actually, uh, here, he received the teaching what Apostle Paul explained in 1 Corinthians 14. He says he received the teaching from the Lord. The very Lord who was presiding over Pentecost is the one who gave Apostle Paul the interpretation of the gifts as they work in the church. And Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37 to 38, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So he's saying, the teaching that I'm giving you about the exercising of these gifts is coming from the Lord himself. What are we to see? Pentecost marked the beginning of the church. Pentecost marked the beginning of the church. Because up to this point, the church was being anticipated. The church was being anticipated. And now the church is being built and constitute, getting constituted as a body by means of spirit baptism. And the, this first occurrence, the en masse baptism of people with the Holy Spirit, indicate that this is the official inauguration of God's church. Okay. So now that we have that basic understanding of the historical background to the Feast of Weeks and its connection with what happened in the book of Acts, let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and see what was being said in there. I'll begin from Acts 2 verse 3. And it says, Then they were, excuse me, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set each of them, and one set upon each of them. Tongues used here are to be understood in different ways. But which ways the scriptures and the context tell us how we are supposed to understand them? It says tongues as in divided tongues. The Greek word that is translated tongues there is glossa, G-L-O-S-S-A. And it is used figuratively. It is not speaking to the literal body organ. There weren't any literal tongues that were actually hanging in the air. But is describing the phenomena that was associated with the Holy Spirit as he appeared to them. 
So there are two figures of speech here. Tongues and as of fire. So they are given to give an accurate description of what was being observed. It's not like there were actually tongues that were hanging in the air, like literal body organs, figurative speech. In Acts 2.4, we are told, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. The tongue there is also glossa, as the Spirit gave them utterance. What we see from this chapter, or from this verse, is that the filling with the Holy Spirit as an experience to the believer happened simultaneously with the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism with the Holy Spirit happened at the same time as filling with the Holy Spirit. But they don't always happen at the same time, as we find out in the book of Acts. What we know from the overall teaching of the Bible is that the Spirit's baptism occurs once for each believer at the moment of salvation. Romans 6.3 Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And Colossians 2.12 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So what we see is every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it may happen that as the baptism occurs, there's also the filling with the Holy Spirit. We are going to see from the book of Acts the situations where you had just baptism and then the filling came later. And it's not always that if someone was filled, they had to speak in tongues. It had a purpose. It had a purpose. So the filling with the Holy Spirit may occur not only at salvation, but also on a number of occasions after salvation, as in Acts 4, verse 8 and 31, Acts 6, verse 3 and 5, Acts 7, Verse 55, X9, verse 17, X13, verses 9 and 52. But let's get to the nature of the tongues. In verse 4, we are told that they began to speak other tongues. They began to speak. And the word used here to speak means to speak. It means to speak. And what does that mean? It means to utter articulate sounds to declare one's mind and thoughts. So they were speaking like I am speaking, but in a different language. And we are told that this speaking was enabled by the Holy Spirit. Why was it enabled by the Holy Spirit? Because these people were speaking languages that they had not formally learned. They did not know these languages. So they spoke with other languages. They spoke with other tongues. And the word other there is the Greek word heteros. H-E-T-E-R-O-S. 
And you can tell what that word has migrated to English as heterosexual, as opposed to homosexual, same and different. So other is different. So it's other of a different kind. Other of a different kind. And here the tongue is being used as referring to language or dialect used by a particular people. Used by a particular people. So, what can we learn about what they were saying? This is Acts 2.6. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone had them speak in his own language. And the Greek word for language there is dialectos. Is dialectos is spelled D-I-A-L-E-K-T-O-S. And you can hear dialect. The reason why I am saying this Greek word is because people play with, oh, we have special tongues, glossa, that is different from dialectos. But when the Holy Spirit uses them, he uses them interchangeably to say the same thing. That's why you need to know that. Because people will say, oh no, they are different. Tongues are different. No. In the context in which it was used here, it's saying the same thing. So they had each speak in his own language. And what does that mean? It means that the new tongues that were enabled by the Holy Spirit were languages that were discernible to the audience. They were discernible to the audience. So glossa and dialectos are here used to describe the same thing. Proper languages that were spoken daily by the people. So the tongues described in the, ex, in the book of Acts were not cryptic to the hearers. They were not cryptic to the hearers. They were recognizable dialects. They were recognizable dialects. What was the purpose of the noise and the tongues? But that's one element of trying to read this chapter that is ignored. There is a purpose to the tongues and to the noise. It was to get the attention of the crowd. It was to get the attention of the crowd. We are told the crowd gathered and was in confusion. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look! Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? So, accompanied with the unusual sound, were Galileans speaking different languages so that everyone who was there did not miss what they were saying. And we have been told the languages, the different languages that they were speaking. And there was a mixed response from the audience. 
We had some who said, we just wondered. And they didn't know what that meant. And then, of course, you had the other smart theologians who tried to explain it away and jeered and said, oh, guess what? They are on new wine. They are on new wine. They tried to explain away the phenomena. So even for us, we can't be trying to explain away the phenomena. Rather, we have to try and understand what it means. What was the significance of that? And if it's something that we need to have for salvation, we surely should be asking the Lord to have it. If it is required of salvation. But if it is not required of salvation, let's put it in the proper context. And not cause others to stumble who have not been gifted that way. But even more important, for us to have the ability to hear what is being said. What are they saying? Are they speaking the tongues as to glorify the deeds of God as these were? So why get the attention of the crowd? Crowd needed to, remember this is the feast of weeks. So there are thousands and thousands of people who are in Jerusalem. There are a ton of people there. So he has to, there are a lot of sacrifices being brought. There's commotion there. How do you get attention to these people? They didn't have amplifiers and loudspeakers like we do. So what's the Lord's plan? He gets them attention through the wind. They're rushing. Sound like wind. This was that Peter may preach to them about Christ. Remember what the Lord said. In Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me first in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So Peter begins to preach to them because of what happened. Peter was not going to be able to gather the attention of these many people one time. So the Lord brings these signs that he may get their attention. And Peter tells them that, well, guess what? What is happening that you're seeing is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel 2, 28 to 32. He says, the Lord had already prophesied that this is what is going to happen. So he tells them that what you are seeing is a witness of the reality of the resurrected Christ whom you rejected and crucified. So, from the data that we have from the book of Acts and the Pauline epistles, this is what we're going to learn. We are going to learn, or we have learned, or we are learning, that baptism with the Holy Spirit is a requirement for one to come to Christ and to be able to identify as a Christian. It relates to regeneration, to a new birth. You must be born again. And the baptism is accompanied by different degrees of feeling by the Holy Spirit. It's degrees. 
according to the measure of grace or gift given you. So as to enable the gift that God has purposed for each individual or body of believers to exercise. So filling in the context of the book of Acts and which you are going to see more and more is it relates to empowerment to exercise the gifts in the ministry of the church. So the filling of the Holy Spirit does not say if you are filled, you have to speak in tongues. That's not what that is saying. The filling of the Holy Spirit is giving you the power to do the work that the Lord has given you to do. And this is why the, the Lord said to the disciples, wait till I give you the Holy Spirit. When you receive power from on high. And from the blue, they see Peter, some ordinary fisherman, with such boldness and with such understanding and with such clarity and just preaching hellfire to them. And they were cut to the chest. And they came to him and were crying, what shall we do to be saved? So baptism with the Holy Spirit is a universal experience for all believers and has no degrees. Baptism with the Holy Spirit, this is very important, is a universal experience for all believers and this one has no degrees. There are no degrees of being born again. You're either you're still in your mother's belly or you're out. If you're born again, you're born again. You don't get up, you don't get born again to this level and that level. No. If you're born again, it's the same experience for, for everyone who is a believer. But feeling by the Holy Spirit is what admits degrees in believers. The degree of feeling is the measure of grace that is given you. So what we see is feeling with the Holy Spirit is penid basis. It's just in time. And because of that, there are ebbs and flows. Okay, where did I get that understanding from? Matthew 10, 19. This is what the Lord Jesus said. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour. It shall be given to you in that hour. What you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So, in that hour, you will be surprised with the boldness that you have in that hour. If the Lord requires you to have the boldness in that hour, you're going to stand with such boldness that you don't even know what you're talking about. So the Lord said, do not carry a PowerPoint presentation about me when it's time for you to talk about me I am going to show up. And I am going to give you my spirit. So when you see the spirit showing up, you are going to see it as we're going to read. We're going to see it with Stephen. He is full of the spirit. Paul is full of the spirit. And every time when the scriptures record that they were full of the spirit, they were causing trouble. 
They had so much boldness. They had so much power to preach. They were doing all kinds of miracles in the hour. In the hour that the Lord had given them to do it. Okay. There was a point in the book of Exodus. Apostle Paul, just his shadow, just passing through. People get healed. Just walking by. People getting healed. I don't think that's what he was doing all his life. He was not healing people with this shadow all his life. I don't think so. Because he didn't heal Timothy when he had the stomach ailment. And he recommended to him to get some wine. Right? Why couldn't he just say, hey, Timothy, get healed. Send me a letter. I'll pray over your letter. And you get healed. So he says of Stephen. Sorry. Uh, it's of course of Stephen, but I need to back up a second. He says, when the situation demands the Holy Spirit will be given you so that you will give an adequate defense in this case. So that with respect to Stephen, we are told they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Acts 6.10. They were not able to resist. Stephen was not a very educated man. But they were not able to resist him. Because the Holy Spirit was the one who was speaking through Stephen. But here what Ephesians 3.7 says about the gifting of the feeling. I became a servant of this gospel according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the exercise of his power. According to the gift. In Ephesians 4, 7, it says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. According to the measure of Christ's gift. In Romans 12, 3, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. It's saying the same thing. So, feeling by the Holy Spirit in the context of the book of Acts and even in the Old Testament was given largely in the context of preparing for some great work like boldness in preaching or wisdom in leading God's people in craftsmanship. And in the New Testament, at the inauguration of the church, it was also given with the signs of tongue speaking, but the purpose was to establish the church. Listen to Exodus 35, verse 30 to 35. Uh, you can also read this in Exodus 31, verses 1 to 11. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Her, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God. Listen to this. In wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. So the filling with the Holy Spirit here was for craftsmanship. It was to perform a particular work for the Lord. To design the kind of materials that the Lord wanted to be used in the tabernacle. 
Daniel 5.11. This is the spirit given for wisdom and understanding. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And listen to how this spirit is said to be in him. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. So, the spirit is given there for wisdom and understanding in Daniel. Daniel was not speaking in tongues. Yet, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says of Jesus in Isaiah 11 too. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And we are told that the Lord was full of the Holy Spirit. So all these things are the Holy Spirit. Is, is the Holy Spirit giving and filling people for what they have to do. Listen to this again. I'm going to multiply my arguments even though I've already proved them. But just for the sake of someone who has never heard them. Who may try to resist this teaching. I'm going to give more examples. The appointment of the first seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. This is what was said of them. Acts 6, 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. So there's a task that has to be done. And what is required? Someone who has the spirit, filled with the spirit, as shown with their good reputation, with wisdom and understanding. Okay? Listen to this. The Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Spirit, getting filled with the Holy Spirit, is about giving you some extra ability. It's to amplify whatever little ability that you may have, or to just give you a totally new ability that you never had. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit in filling is. And it's very important for us to know that it's given always in the context of, in the, context of the body of Christ. It's given in the context of the body of Christ. So we hear when Stephen is arrested in Acts 8, uh, we are told that in verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace, or faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is what enabled him to do what he did. And as we know, in Acts 7, 55, when Stephen was preaching, and they ended up stoning him to death. Listen to what he says in Acts 7, uh, 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed upward into heaven, and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right hand. So the filling with the Holy Spirit here opened heaven for Stephen in a way that those who were around him could not see. And John is going to say the same thing in Revelation. and say, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was taken up in the spirit. In the Lord's day. And he, then he describes all the sins that he have in Revelation. 
And Apostle Paul is going to say that in 2 Corinthians. I was taken up, right, to the third heavens. So that's the spirit. Full of the spirit, Apostle John was connected to heaven. Stephen, full of the spirit, was opened up to see Christ standing on the right hand of God. I'm going to kill a dead horse. Deuteronomy 34.9 Now Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Do you see the connections? He was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him. So the laying of hands did not confer tongue speaking. It conferred the power and ability for him to lead his God's people in authority. Okay? But we also see that being baptized in the Holy Spirit does not mean that one is mature in the faith. Because all Christians are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is the feeling, the feeling is what brings maturity. We are all baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's the degree of feeling that determines our degree of growth and maturity. And we know this from the church at, at Corinth, the Corinthian church. They had all the gifts, and yet they had so many issues. We had a guy sleeping with his stepmother. This is a guy who had the spirit. We had people taking the communion wrongly. We had a lot of divisions in this church. And yet they were baptized by the spirit. And Apostle Paul commands them to be mature, to be filled. To be filled. And he doesn't specifically say that in the Corinthian church, but... He says this in Ephesians 5.8, which is uh, one of the commands that are general to the church. He says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So the opposite of getting drunk and going crazy is to be filled with the Spirit. And when you get filled with the Spirit, you become more mature in the things that you do. So, what were the tongues for then? According to Apostle Paul, tongues were for the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and occupied an inferior role to other gifts in the church. According to Apostle Paul, tongues were for the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy and occupied an inferior role to other gifts in the church. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 21-22. In the law... He says in the law, but he was actually quoting Isaiah 28. He was quoting Isaiah 28, verses 11 to 12. And he says, it is written, By men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to these people, and even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. But listen to how the Holy Spirit gives interpretation to that. Verse 22. This is the immediate verse after the one that he just quoted. He says, so then tongues are for a sign. Then tongues are for a sign. 
not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Look at what is happening at, at Pentecost. You have a mass of unbelievers, the people who have rejected Christ, crucify him, crucify him. And what did the Lord do? He brings people who speak in tongues. So he says, the tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But let me tell you what is more important to those who believe. Prophecy is for a, but prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. So what are we talking about prophecy? He is not saying predicting the future. He is saying teaching the word of God. That's the contrast here. You are teaching and edifying the body of Christ with the knowledge of the things of God. So if you want to read more about what Isaiah says, read Isaiah 28 verses 9 to 14. Okay. So Apostle Paul is saying with that statement, because Israel refused to listen to God's message proclaimed by his prophets, Isaiah had predicted that another message would come. That's what that is saying. And this one would be delivered in a foreign tongue that is unintelligible to the Israelites. And that is what happened at Pentecost. And that is what happened at Pentecost. So God caused them to speak in, an, in a language that was unintelligible to them as a fulfillment of what he had said in Isaiah 28. So what else can we learn as we finish this? We can learn also that the reception of the Holy Spirit in Acts does not follow any set pattern. This is very important. The reception of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts does not follow any particular pattern. It does not. In Acts 10.44, he came into believers before baptism. In Acts 44, I mean Acts 10, verse 44, the Holy Spirit came into believers before baptism. And in Acts 8, 12 and Acts 16 and 19, the Holy Spirit came at the time of or after baptism. Okay? And in Acts 8, 17 and Acts 19, 6, he came by the laying of apostolic hands. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, no one laid hands on anybody. They were just sitting. They were sitting. And that is important because the Jews rarely prayed while sitting. So they were not praying for the Holy Spirit. The Jews prayed standing. So they were sitting and probably just chit-chatting. So they is no particular pattern to the coming of the Holy Spirit on an individual person. Every person has their unique experience on how they came to Christ. Every person has their own unique experience as they came to Christ because 
to come to Christ is not your decision. It's the decision of God and the Holy Spirit. So he comes to you whichever way he wants. So it's important for us to acknowledge, though, that no one can be a Christian without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. No one can be a Christian and say Jesus Christ is Lord without the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And there's another important thing that we need to know. And it is that the book of Acts is a book in transition. The book of Acts is a book of transition. The church is being established. So we cannot form proper theology from it. You have to use other books to interpret the events in the book of Acts. And that's what the Lord has done for us. He has given us interpretation with other books of what was happening in the book of Acts. So it's not enough to say, oh, I'm going to show you in the book of Acts. There are a whole lot of things that you have to put into consideration. In Acts 2, 1, 4. In Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. There were 12 apostles and others who spoke in tongues. And we had an audience. And the audience was of the unsaved Jews. And the tongue speaking happened after salvation. And there was a purpose for it. The purpose of the tongues in Acts 2 was to validate for the Jews the fulfillment of Joel. So they had a function in Acts 2 verses 1 to 4. In Acts 10 verses 44 to 47, who were speaking in tongues, Gentiles, Cornelius and his household, and what were, uh, what was the audience? They were saved Jews. Remember, in Acts 2, the audience was unsaved Jews. In Acts 10, we have saved Jews, including Peter, who doubted God's plan. If you go and read the story, they doubted that God had interest in Gentiles. So, what we see, they spoke in tongues at the same time that they were baptized. And the purpose was to validate to the Jews God's acceptance of the Gentiles. So the tongues were given for a purpose in each context. And lastly, in Acts 19, verses 1 to 7, we had about 12 Old Testament believers. They believed in the Old Testament. Okay? And the audience, these were Jews who needed confirmation of the Lord's message. They needed confirmation of the Lord's message. And they spoke in tongues. They received the Holy Spirit at the same time of salvation. Everything happened at the same time. But what was the reason for that? To validate for Jews Paul's message. To validate for Jews, Paul's message. So the tongues were never just given for the sake of giving if you are working with what was happening in the book of Acts. They each had a purpose that they were accomplishing. In conclusion, 
This is what we can learn about this matter. It's no way exhaustive. But this is what we can learn. There was an overabundance of the gifts of the Holy Spirit because this was the inauguration of the Church of Jesus Christ. This was the official ceremony to mark the beginning of the ingathering of God's people since full payment for their sins had been made and accepted as evidenced by the resurrection of the Lord. And like most inaugurations, it was marked by lavish ceremonies. And Pentecost was marked by the lavish gift of the Holy Spirit. And the speaking in tongues as our Lord Jesus Christ brought before the Father the first grain of his labor, the first fruit of his harvest, and prophecy and appointed feasts had to be fulfilled this way. Prophecy and appointed feasts have to be, had to be fulfilled this way. But as I said, Apostle Paul is going to give us the lens through which we have to see these things. So tongues are not a standard experience for all who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That has to be important. Tongues are not a standard experience for all those who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And lack of them is not a sign of not having the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Okay. So, all Christians experience Pentecost. If we really think about it, if we understand the theology of Pentecost, that this is Christ who is coming and presenting before the Father those that he has redeemed and perfected on the cross. Every Christian, when they come to Christ, experience their own Pentecost. So Pentecost is an experience of every believer, not in the context of having to speak the sign, uh, speak in tongues, but the very fact that you are receiving the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, as a promise of God, was to be given on Pentecost. So the tongues are secondary to the theology of baptism with the Holy Spirit. Tongues are very secondary to baptism with the Holy Spirit. And should not be elevated beyond what the Lord has commanded. All believers are baptized in, with, and by the Holy Spirit. But have degrees of feeling depending on what and how the Holy Spirit sovereignly designs to use them. In the exercise of the gifts in the ministry of the body of Christ. That's, that's how it works. This is very important because you go out there, you're getting stronger in your theology. But not everybody is sitting in a place where there's even an attempt to try and find what the actual teaching is. There's an overemphasis of the experience. The experience that, well, you have to, you have to do something to speak in tongues, otherwise... <laughs> 
we are questioning your salvation. Having your salvation questioned is the most difficult thing that you could have. Because what if you never get to speak the tongues? When are you ever going to get the peace if you never have to speak the tongues? So what I was saying is this. You have to have discernment. You have to have discernment. Do not receive everything without testing. Test the spirits. What they are saying. Hear what they are saying with respect to all the other doctrines. And compare with the scriptures and hear what they are teaching. Because you do not want to be the one who stumble at Christ also. Because you never know. Someone may actually be speaking in some kind of tongues. So the issue for me and us as a church is not to despise the people who speak in tongues. The issue is for us to understand that the Bible does not make that a universal requirement of salvation. That's where my bond is. And if it is not a universal requirement for salvation, then don't make it a universal requirement of salvation. Because the universal requirement of salvation is faith alone in Christ alone. And you stop there. And if we would speak in tongues here, that would be glorious. I would love to hear Sister Becker speak in one of these languages. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your people that you gathered this day to hear what you gave me to share. Help them to understand. Help us to understand. Grow us in understanding. Conform us to Christ. That we may be like him in all things. In wisdom and understanding. And we pray, Lord, for the filling of the Holy Spirit in all of your people. Whoever is called of Christ, who names the name of Christ. We ask that they be filled of the Holy Spirit. As Moses said, that he would rather have all men to prophesy. And it is our prayer too this day. That all your people would prophesy the things of Christ. And talk about the mighty deeds, the wonderful deeds that our God has done in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. A wonderful and marvelous gift. We thank you, Lord, for calling us and immersing us in yourself. We don't even know what these things mean, Lord. But we say them and we know they are true because you have said them. But one day we shall know. We shall know and we shall see it. When we become glorified as you are. When we shall put away this body of death. When we shall be with all the saints in the heavenly city. 
Lord, may you cause us to make it to the end. May we reach the desired destination. Help us, Lord Jesus, be with your people. May you strengthen them as they go out. Bring to remembrance this teaching and impress it on their hearts and minds. Bring us here that we may come in again next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.